morning. Bible reading today comes from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 to 13. You can follow it on your handout that came as you came in or behind me on the screen. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him then, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood what he was talking to them about, John the Baptist. Thanks, David. Uh, join with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning to see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Well, uh, one thing I'm really thankful for uh, this week is the opportunity over the last few weeks to spend time with all of our growth groups. Uh, so we have small groups that meet during the week uh, and it's been a great encouragement as I've gotten to pop in and, and visit almost all of them. Uh, and as we've looked at this passage this week, 
uh, just been so encouraged uh, by the, the insight and the, uh, the, uh, the depth of wrestling with God's word in all our groups. Uh, it's been a wonderful joy. Well, um, Keely and I knew a woman uh, back in Sydney who was dying of cancer. Uh, she was young, in her 40s. Uh, she had three quite very young girls. Uh, and before she died, her number one concern was to prepare her daughters as well as she could for the hard road she knew was ahead of them. Uh, so before the end, she spent a whole lot of time with their family. They took a long holiday uh, and she tried to teach them things and give them memories that would help them, encourage them and strengthen them in the hard days that were coming. Now, I actually think that what Jesus is doing here on the mountain is something very similar. See, it's been six days since Jesus first revealed his terrifying diagnosis to his disciples, that he was about to suffer a horrible premature death. At this time, only six days later, Jesus' disciples are probably still in, in a state of shock and denial and despair, trying to figure out what all this means and how on earth they're going to keep going. And at this moment, Jesus takes three of his closest disciples up a mountain to give them a memory that would help encourage and strengthen them in the hard road that was ahead. We get first a glimpse of Jesus' glory. Have a look at verse 1. After six days, that's six days after Jesus' diagnosis that he would be killed, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. Now, if you're picturing in your head uh, Jesus like a human glow stick, uh, you haven't quite got it. Uh, actually, it's not even close because the light here coming off Jesus' face is so intense that it's like looking at the sun. And this was an experience, a memory, a lesson that Jesus was going to leave with them, a memory he wanted to make to give them a glimpse of his divine glory. We talked in that creed that we read together before about actually how Jesus is fully God and yet somehow his divinity has been united to humanity. And in doing that, for the last 33 years of Jesus' life, the glory that he'd had for all eternity had been hidden. You could have passed Jesus on the street. You never would have realised that this was anything other than an ordinary man. He looked like an ordinary man. He would have smelt like an ordinary man, sounded like an ordinary man. Hidden for 33 years. But now on this mountain, he shines like the sun. See, Jesus wanted his disciples to realise, fully and truly, to grasp that he is God Almighty. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. 
And while this is a glimpse into the glory that Jesus had before he became human, even more than that, it's actually a glimpse into the glory that is coming. Now, for our friends, children, uh, those beautiful and all too short memories uh, that they shared with their mum before she died, they actually weren't just reminders of what they had. They didn't just point to the past. As those three girls look back on their time with their mum, actually that doesn't just point to the past. Because she is a Christian. She is someone who has placed her hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and she is someone who will rise again. And for those three girls, she had hoped that this time together, these memories, would actually point forward. Not back to what they had lost, but forward to what they would have again if they trust Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. These memories point forward because if these girls cling to Christ, that won't, time with their mum won't just be in the past, it will be for all eternity. And so Jesus' transfiguration is a a forwards peak, a foretaste, a preview of the glory and majesty he would have after the cross. Years later, after Jesus had died and risen and returned to heaven, uh, one of these three men, John, actually wrote, uh, and he was, he was given a glimpse again at Jesus' glory. Except this time, the glimpse he got of Jesus' glory wasn't a foretaste, He was actually given a little window into heaven in real time to see the risen Lord Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven in all his glory. See if this sounds familiar. This is from Revelation chapter 1. John said, When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, a human, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. His voice sounded like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. See, that night back there, before Jesus died, these three disciples got a little glimpse, a little preview, a foretaste of Jesus' future glory. And I think the lesson that Jesus wanted them to learn and wants us to learn is that in order for Jesus to come in to his glory, he would have to go through the horror of the cross. Just after Jesus has told them that he will be rejected and he will die, he was showing them that that actually is the only way to glory. Jesus would be stripped, beaten, humiliated, spat on, insulted, nailed to a cross, and afterwards his lifeless body would be laid in a tomb until the third day. See, the disciples needed this little foretaste of his glory so that later, after he rose, they would realise this truth, that he had 
to endure the cross to get to glory. His glory comes after his suffering. And the same is true for Jesus' disciples, for Peter, for James, for John. But actually the same is true for every one of Jesus' disciples, for you and me and all who would follow him. Just six days earlier, when Jesus had dropped that bombshell that he would die, he said that this was the case for every single person. Uh, If you've got your Bibles, you can flick back a chapter to chapter 16 and verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. In verse 27, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Then he will reward each person according to what they have done. See, like Jesus, like Peter, James and John, we too if we are followers of Jesus, we too must suffer now before we come into glory. As followers of Jesus, we will have many dark days, many discouragements, many distractions, many dangers will threaten to trip us up and put us off course. Brothers and sisters, we know it, don't we? We face sickness and grief and temptation and depression and hardship and humiliation and pain and loss. And we face them all the more if we really, truly follow Jesus and stand for him. And the devil will try and discourage us. He will tell you that whatever glory is coming later, it's not worth the pain now. Heard that one before? You felt that one before? The devil will try and convince you that you can actually just kind of dodge the suffering and go around the cross and get straight to glory. You you can avoid it. You don't really need to suffer now. But it doesn't work that way, does it? And we look at Jesus and his glory. As Danny said last week, uh, there's no afterpay. (laughs) The road to the mountaintop glory first goes through the valley of suffering. Jesus endured the cross and now sits in eternal glory in heaven. And if we too suffer for Jesus, if we endure hardship and pain and follow him, that glory will be ours as well. We too will be transformed with him in glory. Jesus has given us this glimpse of his glory as a tremendous encouragement and strengthening to us. But as well as an encouragement, it's also a warning, isn't it? It's time to listen. Have a look at verse 4. I love Peter. I love that half the time he says things and you think he's just off his chops. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the clouds said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. 
Now, Peter's response is kind of crazy, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you chuckle as you read that. You think, what is he thinking? Uh, Luke's gospel actually tells us he's so overwhelmed, he doesn't know what to say. And, you know, like a good extrovert, he doesn't just keep his mouth shut. He just says whatever comes to his head. And like countless individuals throughout history, and probably like all of us at some point or another, Peter's instinctive response to God's glory is to make up his own religion. It's to come up with his own idea of how he should worship. I know what, let's make some tents. It's crazy. I don't know why he thought it would be a good idea to build these little temples, but somewhere in his brain, he obviously thought like that seemed the best thing to do at the time. But God has a different agenda to the crazy ideas that we come up with. God the Father here interrupts Peter and he repeats the declaration that he made when Jesus was baptised. But he adds the command, listen to him. I don't want tents, I don't want tabernacles, I don't want booths, I don't... Stop trying to make it up yourself, Peter. There's only one thing I want you to do, and that's listen to Jesus. See, in the past, God had spoken through the prophets. We've got two of them right here on the mountain, Moses and Elijah. But now, God is declaring, now I'm speaking through my son. Listen to him. Where Moses and Elijah are symbolic of the whole first part of the Bible, the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets, they pointed forward to Jesus and now Jesus has come. They were two of God's greatest prophets. Both of them had had mountaintop experiences where they met God. And God, for both of them, on a mountain, had proved beyond a doubt that they really were God's prophets, God's messengers, his spokespeople. And yet here, on a different mountain, God is confirming a new prophet, the ultimate prophet, the prophet of all prophets, the prophet who makes the other two obsolete. And this was just what God had promised to Moses thousands of years before. Deuteronomy 18, God said to Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you from among the Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. And God said, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Now back on Mount Sinai, when Israel heard God speak, when they saw the thick cloud full of fire, they felt the earth quake and heard the thunder, and they saw Moses come back down the mountain with his face glowing so bright they made him put a curtain over his head. The people knew without a doubt that this was God's prophet. And yet they didn't listen. They didn't listen to Moses and they paid the price. Many years later when Elijah went up a different mount, Mount Carmel, and he challenged the prophets of the false god Baal to a contest. 
The people of Israel saw the prophets of Baal calling on Baal for hours and hours and nothing happened. They watched Elijah soak his offering with liters and liters and liters of water. They heard Elijah pray to Yahweh, the God of Israel. And they saw the fire burst out of heaven and wipe out everything. The water, the wood, even the stones and the soil was burnt up. They saw. They knew beyond a doubt in their mountaintop experience that Yahweh was God and that Elijah was his prophet. But, again, they didn't listen. Again, they paid the price of ignoring the prophet of God. When the writer uh, to the letter to Hebrews uh, speaks about our experience, and actually it says that we too, like Peter, James and John back then, we too are standing on the mountain. We too are right there. This is the experience of every Christian. Listen to this. Hebrews 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. You haven't come to darkness, gloom and storm. You haven't come to a mountain with a trumpet blast or a a voice speaking words that made the people beg that God stopped speaking to them. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've come to the whole church and the angels in joyful assembly. We have come to God, the judge of all. And you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And this is how the writer of the Hebrews concludes. We're here at the mountain. He says this to you, to me. Make sure you do not refuse the one who speaks. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. He says, if they, the Israelites, back on Mount Carmel and Mount Sinai, if they didn't escape when they refused God who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we turn away from God who warns from heaven? See, the prophets, Moses, Elijah, They were earthly messengers who warned us. Jesus is a heavenly messenger who warns us. If they didn't escape when they ignored the earthly messengers, how do we have a hope of escaping if we ignore Jesus, our heavenly messenger? I don't know about you, um, but listening properly is definitely an issue that uh, comes up occasionally in our family. Um, you know, just, just every now and then, you know, no, sweetie, don't hit him. It doesn't just mean for a minute, it means forever, you know. Uh, sorry, mate, I said when I told you to turn off your Nintendo, I didn't mean turn it off and then turn it back on and keep playing, you know. Uh, no, I don't need to explain why, I just need you to obey. Does this sound a bit familiar? Scott, I've asked you three times if you could please take the bins up the drive. They're too heavy for me. And now we've missed the truck. I don't want to be dumb. Babe, I've been telling you for years that it hurts my feelings when you disappear into the garage or the garden and, and you never talk to me about it. 
can we please just have a conversation where you put down your other distractions and stop doing what you're doing and just focus, just for five minutes. See, listening is something we all struggle with, isn't it? And listening to Jesus, we make all those same mistakes. See, listening to Jesus isn't just a once-off and then we switch off and we go elsewhere. Listening to Jesus isn't just when it suits us and we feel like it, it's always. Listening to Jesus isn't being that lawyer or that five-year-old trying to find all the loopholes. Listening to Jesus means obeying his commands and the principles behind them that shape them. Listening to Jesus doesn't mean hearing and then doing nothing about it. It means action. Listening to Jesus isn't kind of half tuning in and uh, it's undivided attention. Now, this doesn't mean that we throw out the Old Testament. It doesn't mean that Moses and Elijah are written off. But it means that to listen to Jesus, we actually see the Old Testament and understand the Old Testament by the way that Jesus explained it. And listening to Jesus doesn't mean pulling a Peter and coming up with their own crazy idea of what it's going to look like for me to worship God and live as a Christian. God says, listen to him. Follow what he says. He is my son. And in a world surrounded by these kind of Peter-like, come-up-with-it-yourself voices, we have the one voice we can trust. We have the one prophet who was confirmed in glory and declared by God to be his son. And notice how he treats Peter, James and John. He shows them that he is gentle, approachable. Jesus came and touched them, verse 7, and said, don't be afraid. You can forget all the influences and the social commentators and the philosophers of our world. We can forget our own notions of what we'd rather do. We have Jesus. We need to listen to him. He has given us a glimpse of his glory. It's time to listen. And then our passage today finishes with a weird little discussion uh, about Elijah. The train is in the station. Have a look at verse 10. The disciples asked Jesus, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah uh, comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they didn't recognise him. They've done to him everything they wished and in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Now, presumably here, they're on their way back down the mountain. Peter, James and John have, have understood what they've witnessed. They've understood that this glory shows that Jesus really is the Lord who's come to his people to rescue and bring forgiveness. But they're confused because there's something missing. God had promised for many years that, yes, the Lord would come, the prophet like Moses, the king, the Messiah. 
but also he'd promised that before the king come, first, Elijah would come. A prophet in the spirit and power of Elijah would come to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And so here, the, the Peter, James and John are thinking, well, hang on, if you're the prophet, well then where's Elijah? We haven't seen Elijah. Well, it reminds me a little bit of a, a day many years ago when I was waiting for a train at a station in Sydney. Uh, to my shame, it probably wasn't the only time this happened, but it happened at least once. Uh, I was waiting for a train and I'd looked on the board and I could see the trains were coming and, and I knew that my train was the second train. Uh, there was one train coming, going somewhere else, and then there was my train. And so it's great, I'll just sit there and I can read my book or listen to my iPod, whatever I was doing at the time. And, and you know, I, the first train goes past and I get on the second one. Anyway, it turns out that I wasn't paying quite enough attention and I actually somehow missed the first train coming. I didn't even see it. Uh, and so the first train comes, I let it, the first train comes, I let it go. And then I go to get on the second train, I look on the board and hang on, this isn't the second train, this is the third train. What's going on? And I realised that actually I've completely missed the first train. So then when the next train came, which was my train, I missed it because I didn't recognise it. <laughs> I let it go. I could have gotten on it. But I had no clue. And see, actually, that's exactly what Israel had done with Jesus. Because John the Baptist was the first train. He was the one that was to come and prepare and he came and he prepared. He baptised in the wilderness. He said, get ready for the Lord for he is coming. But Israel wasn't paying attention. They didn't recognise the prophet. So not only did they miss the prophet, they missed their train, the Lord Jesus Christ. And where they had taken John and killed him, rejected him, so too, says Jesus, that was a foretaste of what they were about to do to him. Before entering his glory, Jesus too would go unrecognised. Jesus too would be ignored and rejected. He too would be gruesomely killed. But this was all according to plan. As Jesus said earlier, the disciples don't need to be afraid. They just needed to listen. They just needed to understand this lesson from the mountain. That the road to mountaintop glory leads through the hill of Calvary, where Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross. Glory would come through suffering. We don't have a question time this morning, but I do have a a question for you uh, to talk about together. Uh, you'll find there in, in your handouts at the bottom of the uh, sermon outline, there's a, a question for morning tea and for your drive home. And I think it would be really helpful if we ask and encourage each other and share what are your helpful tips and tricks for listening to Jesus and keeping focused on the glory that comes on the other side of suffering. How do you help yourselves Focus on listening to Jesus. And how do you help yourself keep focused on the glory that will come so that you can endure the suffering that is now? Thanks.